Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, recorded live at 2828 Crossover in Fayetteville, Arkansas. For notes and resources accompanying this teaching, visit gracechurchnwa.org. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Hey, I'm Mike Maloney. I am a member of Grace Church. I'm a participant in the teaching team, and on occasion, I get to get up and share a message with you on Sunday. And uh, this is one of those occasions. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that I'm here. Uh, This week, we're continuing in a series. That series is the story of the early church in Acts. Um, The question is, is how did people who couldn't see or listen to Jesus personally still uh, hear and receive Jesus's words from the apostles? And, And what happened to cause the early church to, uh, to have such boldness among its believers? How did the church grow amidst widespread persecution? That's the nature of the whole theme that we're in that uh, has this fun title slide behind me. Uh, last week, John talked about the church in Rome. And uh, he did it through Paul's letter to the Roman in which, uh, in which Paul was encouraging them not to be ashamed of the gospel among the opposition that they saw in the very center of political resistance, and that is uh, Rome. And, and John reminded us that the gospel is more than just forgiveness of sins, but an answer to how we live our lives. A, a life in which we are free from the obligation to demonstrate our righteousness to anyone. Free from the obligation to demonstrate our righteousness to false idols or to a government or even to demonstrate our righteousness to the one true God. But it's a life in which we're also free to pursue righteousness as we live the gospel out fully expressing that in community and expressing our faith in love. And, and, and that's what it really kind of means to be a Christian. And that's the message that Paul and his friends took in his second missionary journey. This happened about 20 years after Christ died and about 15 years after Paul's conversion. Uh, Paul took the message through the Asian continent and into the Greek homeland of the great conqueror Alexander. Remember him? Alexander the pretty good. No, Alexander the Great. Uh, He took that message into Macedonia, uh, past Philippi. As you can kind of look at the map on the left, right? So uh, just to orient us completely, off the map is Asia, which included Colossae, from which we, Alex, read some scripture this morning, came up past the Dardanelles, the strait that leads into what is modern-day Istanbul, and around the islands, around the landmass that is Philippi, and he continued east to Thessalonica and Berea, uh, that great port city of Thessalonica, and then that somewhat backwater town of Berea. And it's there in uh, Thessalonica that our story begins today. I would like the opportunity to pray for us. Uh, Lord, uh, today, as we gather as your body, as the people of grace, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would do a new thing in each of us, so that when we leave here today, we know the mystery and the hope that is your glory. Amen. 
Hey, you may have noticed two maps up on this slide. You're probably curious as to why there's a map of the San Francisco Bay Area. I thought it was an interesting parallel between Macedonia and the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, this will, my work uh, for Del Monte Foods will come into this little bit. Now, just, just, like, um, just like you would have to do if you, um, well, let me, let me start again. So Macedonia is a little bit like California in this way. Macedonia is not at the very hub and center of Greek political or economic life. Where, where does that happen in Greece? Probably down in Athens. And neither is California in the uh, hub or center of American life. Where does that happen? Well, it pretty much happens in New York City and in uh, Washington, D.C., and maybe in Los Angeles. Um, uh, but, of course, uh, Northern California and Macedonia were powerful in their own right after Macedonia was the home of Alexander the Great who conquered most of the, norm, the known world about 300 years before the events we see today. Um, but if you were choosing your headquarters office back then, you would probably have chosen Thessalonica instead of Berea. And uh, part of that reason is Thessalonica was a really active, great port town. It was the major port in that part of the world. Um, it had lots of international commerce. It was beautifully finished out by the public projects that were there. And um, it's kind of like San Francisco in that way. If you were choosing San, that area of Northern California, you'd choose San Francisco for your headquarters. And indeed, until a year ago, that was where Del Monte Foods headquarters was in a beautiful building right there in San Francisco. It was lovely to go visit. <clears throat> um, but Berea was a little bit like that other city up there called Walnut Creek. Um, it was a small town, kind of inland, sort of off the beaten transportation paths, uh, kind of provincial, kind of not as nice, and kind of Del Monte's new headquarters are in Walnut Creek. So when I go there next week for a meeting, I'm not going to San Francisco. I'm going to Walnut Creek. And uh, in some sense, when you hear Thessalonica and Berea today, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about a really beautiful, big, fancy port city, and then we're talking about kind of a backwater town. It will be interesting to see where the people are more noble. Well, let's get into that story then. Uh, we'll be in Acts 17 to hear the story of Paul and his friends in Thessalonica and Berea. We'll also read letters that Paul sent to churches on that missionary journey that he was on. Because he came through Colossae before he, eventually, before he got to Thessalonica and Berea, and then went to Ephesus after he did. So some of the same stuff he sent in those letters to those two churches is probably the same stuff he talked about when he was on this trip. Now, uh, follow along up here. We've got some Bible words up here on the screen. Some of you have uh, an actual Bible. It's that folded thing made out of paper. And um, if you are using your mobile device, I would only ask you to not follow the, uh, the, the game between Ireland and France, which is happening right now. So please don't watch that. But uh, go Green Army! Um, that's what the Irish team is. My name's Maloney. We'll move on. Here we are in Acts 17, so hear the word of the Lord. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. 
And Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now I'm going to point out a few things before we go into the next slide and go ahead with the Scripture and the story. See, Paul is moving west across Macedonia. Remember, he came up past Philippi with the intent to hook around the peninsula and go down to Athens. Uh, there's a Jewish group in Thessalonica. You remember the Jews were dispersed uh, during the you know, time of maybe just after the fall of the two kingdoms, and this is in the 600 BC. They move up to all kinds of different places, and one of the places they settle is up in Macedonia. Anyway, Paul knows there's a group of Jews there, and he goes to visit them. They receive him. They receive him in their synagogue for three straight weeks, right? It says he teaches on three Sabbaths, and he doesn't meet resistance at first. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bought him back for weeks two and three. Um, he used the scriptures to make a case, and that's not new because that's what you do in a synagogue is you open the scriptures and you, and you talk about them. But he uncovers something from those same scriptures that the Thessalonian Jews hadn't heard before. Messiah had to suffer, to which they would have said, what? Remember, these are the people from the home of Alexander the Great. They're not into the suffering thing. They're into the conquering thing. And the Jews of the time generally thought that when the Messiah came, he would be a conqueror, not a sufferer. And this obscure Jew from a tiny city of Bethlehem, whose name was Jesus, you're telling me he's the very Messiah? You see, Paul was bringing something new. And it's hard for us to see how revolutionary that was. Seeing the story of a suffering and risen Christ in a document that you'd been reading all your life, if you're a Jew going to the synagogue in Thessalonica, um, wow, that's different. I just drew a modern parallel as I was thinking about this. It's kind of like the Da Vinci Code. Did anybody see that movie or read the book, you know, in the last 10 years? It, it was, it's, proposition was that there's something that's been hidden for all of us from 2,000 years that Jesus was actually married and the grail meant the Mary. I didn't, I never really quite understood it. But <clears throat> some people's faith was really rocked back when they thought, oh, there's something to this Da Vinci Code Thing. That must have been kind of how it felt when the Jews in Thessalonica were hearing this stuff. Um, so, unless your own personal story is that you're an Orthodox Jew and you studied the Old Testament scriptures before showing up at our place today, then unless that's your story, you've probably never read the Old Testament without thinking about a little bit of Jesus in there somewhere, Right? But we still have a long way to go to understand all the places that our Savior is anticipated in these Old Testament pages of our Bible, uh, those pages that are still fresh and clean and haven't had a lot of reading, uh, if your Bible is like mine. Well, let's go on with the story then. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and did a great many of, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Hey, success! They're persuaded by Paul. Some of the Jews in, their, in the synagogue are persuaded. A great many non-Jews are persuaded. Um, uh, many leading women. Uh, Alex pointed out in our teaching team meeting this week that 
these people were humble enough and modest enough in their own opinions to recognize this hard truth when they saw it. And make no mistake, this hard truth was really disruptive. It really destroyed their theology. And, um, but at the same time, it, as it was a destroyer of their old theology, it was a builder of something new. <clears throat> something countercultural, both to um, the local Jewish community as well as to the rest of the non-Jewish community, and that's who enters our story next. But the Jews were jealous. This is the Jewish leadership of the synagogue. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Here's the natural resistance to something countercultural. Group leaders whose power is threatened. In this case, those group leaders are religious leaders. And they recruit unprincipled slackers willing to follow whoever is in cultural power. They whip up the crowd with half-truths and they identify scapegoats who are then brought to heel under the government's boot. I am sad to say that that sequence of events is happening every day in the world as people stand up for the truth of Christ. And it certainly happened here in our story. Let's go on. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Hey, here they are in the Jewish synagogue again. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well, oh, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So, hurrah! Here we are in backwater Berea. And let's look at see what's similar to Thessalonica and then where it differs. So in both Berea and Thessalonica, the Jewish leaders allowed Paul to teach in the synagogue. That happened both places. In both places, many Jews believed. In both places, many leading Greek women and men believed. But what was different? What was different was, is the Bereans were eager to know the truth. And they searched the scriptures themselves. They didn't merely let Paul do the scriptural heavy lifting. This is what earned them the reputation for nobility. The Greek word for noble here is a mashup of two words. Uh, the first word is good, and the second word is beginning. The first word is the same one from which we get like a word uh, for eulogy when you go to a person's funeral and you say something good, you, and then Genesis at the back end, the beginnings, the book of our Bible. It say you, Genesis, a good beginning, and 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 this church in Berea by merit of their eagerness and their willingness to search the scriptures, is having a good beginning. 
And that same word is used when someone is born into like a royal family or into some notable house and a high station, as the Brits would say, Uh, which these Jews were certainly not born into that. They earned their nobility from their attitude toward the gospel and toward the scriptures. Our story is about to finish. So did the Berean synagogue leaders do the same thing that the Thessalonian leaders did, and that was rise up in resistance? Well, let's see. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So the issue was that the Berean Jewish leaders were as noble as their congregants. And uh, it took outsiders to come in and cause problems. The sad thing is that the Thessalonians didn't learn from the noble ones in Berea, as sometimes the big city folks don't learn from the country folks. Uh, And that's not uncommon throughout human history. I have three brief implications to share with you that came from my study and from the uh, teaching team's discussions. And after I share with them, with you, we'll return to a more time of worship. The first implication is that we, the people of grace, should seek truth from Scripture, like the Bereans did. But let's pause here and appreciate the difficulty of that. We share the same human nature as those Thessalonian leaders who, upon hearing something countercultural, rose up in objection to it. We come to Scripture with our own interests to protect. How can we be true Scripture truth seekers? And I would pause here and I say, if we're not going to Scripture to ground what we believe to be true and right, where are we going? Um, Well, here's where it's so important to not only come to Scripture, but also to the sources in the gospel community who we can trust are also true Scripture truth seekers. Because there's an almost endless number of writers and speakers who can be found in Christian bookstores and in Christian websites and just on the internet in general. And how can we know whether those writers and speakers are true scripture truth seekers? Here's where we need community. Community resources sit around the table at the teaching team every Wednesday. And I know that because... Every time I get a chance to speak, they are correcting me and making sure that when we get a chance to follow through and talk on Sunday, that we try to talk true scripture stuff. Um, And community resources sit in these chairs every week um, and serve in the nursery and teach our kids and play an instrument or sing. Alex talked a bit this morning as we were in worship about the importance of community. Well, one of the ways we are true scripture truth seekers is we play that out in community. We can use each other. We need each other. Here's what Paul told the believers in Ephesus, where he went after he traveled to Berea. And this was a letter a few years later. And the quote starts in a weird place, but I think you'll see what he means. So this is from Ephesians chapter 4. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Just want to take another two minutes on this first point. Do we see that our ability to not be deceived is tied up in community? Um, We need relationships in which we can speak the truth and in which, by extension, we can hear the truth. And this is part of maturing as a Christian, but don't miss the core element of love here. I know from talking to some of you that some of you have heard scriptural truth tossed out from others in our own church without the sensitivity for our personal or family struggles with the sin that so easily entangles us. And truth can sometimes come out sounding like the opposite of love. I want you to hear how Christian author and scripture truth seeker Tim Keller summarizes this powerful idea of speaking truth in love. Here's the quote. Love without truth is sentimentality. I'm going to say it again. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Implication number one. Seek truth from Scripture with the help of a community that's also seeking truth from Scripture. And I want you to do something with me that's going to feel a little vacation Bible school. But it is June, and a lot of us, we're in the mode of vacation Bible school in June. So I want you to play, please, play along with me. I want you to hold your hands in front of you as if you're reaching for the Bible. I I literally want you to hold your hands. I want you to hold them as if you're reaching for a Bible. And say this with me. Seek truth from Scripture. Seek truth from Scripture. Now let's do it from a resting position. We're going to just do it. Seek truth from Scripture. You you guys are good. I appreciate that. Let's go on to the second implication. See Christ in all of Scripture, not just Jesus in the New Testament. I jested earlier about the Old Testament pages of our Bibles being clean and unread. And that's actually more of a personal true confession than it is an indictment of any of you. (laughs) But... There is something important for us to understand as we read the early church's story as expressed in Acts, and that is the presence of Christ in the Old Testament was so compelling that these first Christians, it was so compelling to them that they felt that it turned the world upside down. Remember the quote from early on? Um, In my 40 years of following Christ... I admit the Old Testament's never done that for me. And maybe, are you like me at all? I mean, we we don't all have to go to seminary like John Ray, 
But shouldn't we know enough to see God's chosen Savior in fresh ways when we read the Old Testament? Shouldn't we get the same charge that the Bereans got when they checked out the scriptures to see if those things were true? Look at two short examples of where we should be able to see our Messiah in those clean pages of my Bible. Here's from the Psalms. Um, David is speaking here. He's, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, isn't it interesting that David has a Lord and David's Lord has a Lord? I mean, can you see a glimpse of the Trinity in play? And our Savior is a prophet, priest, and king in the same way that this mysterious figure of Melchizedek is in the Old Testament. Isn't that worth looking into? And from Isaiah, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Um, that's exactly the same place that Jesus did most of his public ministry, that place he's talking about right now. The people who walked in darkness in that area have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land a deep darkness, on them a light shone. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. We should remember that most of the action of the three years that we spent studying the Gospels took place in these places where the Old Testament predicted that a great light would be shown. May I recommend one resource to you about the Old Testament? Uh, John got very familiar when he took his uh, uh, master's degree in Portland. Uh, during his seminary years, he got familiar with the church from whom this project sprung. It's called the Bible Project, and they're making five-minute explainer videos, explainer videos of every book in the Bible and of sort of key Bible themes. These are true scripture truth seekers, I promise you. And it's free, and they're great. And my son-in-law is one of the illustrators. <laughs> That's even better. And we may occasionally use them here in church because of the nice job they do of explaining in ways that we kind of get in the way that we learn things these days. So time for a little more vacation and Bible school stuff. So what's the first implication? Seek truth. Oh, let me see those hands. I see those hands. Seek truth from Scripture. Okay. Now here's the second one. Bring your hands close like you're looking at the Bible. And say this with me. See Christ in Scripture. See Christ in Scripture. Let's do it from the top. Hands to the side. Seek truth in Scripture. Come on. See Christ in Scripture. Why don't you do it without me? Let me see you. That's just like I hoped it was going to be. <laughs> I got one more implication to share with you. The third implication is to find Christ in me through Scripture, because this is the only hope of glory for broken people like me and you. You see, it's a, it's a real temptation to follow Christ 
as if he's out there somewhere looking at me, wagging his finger when I do wrong, or cheering me on when I'm doing right. But the problem with that kind of Christian life is there's no power in it. It's very much like any self-help regimen when the answer is out here. And John says it all the time. It's the feel-bad, try-harder, give-up cycle of futility. But if that Jesus guy, whose story is all the way through the Bible, were actually to be living in me, that's a whole, as we say in Arkansas, that's a whole nother thing. My wife would kill me. It's a whole other thing. It's not a whole nother thing. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. If he's here, he might be able to help me and direct me in a way that nothing that's outside me can. That would be good news, wouldn't it? This spring, many of us studied at least part of a book called The Good and Beautiful God. I missed a lot of weeks. (laughs) Some of you may have too. But thank God I was there on the week that the idea was discussed at our tables that's summarized up here. The New Testament does not set Jesus apart from his followers. Rather, those who put their confidence in Jesus are also inhabited by him. Christians are people Christ dwells in. I'm going to say that again because he says it about a dozen times in that chapter. Christians are people Christ dwells in. Christians are not merely forgiven sinners, but a new species, persons indwelt by Jesus, possessing the same eternal life he has. Christians are people Christ dwells in, a new species of humankind, never seen before on the earth. That's so great an idea that Paul falls all over himself trying to tell it to the believers in Colossae, where he visited right before he went up into Macedonia. You can bet this message that was the same thing he taught to the Thessalonian believers and to the Bereans. And you could observe in Paul's own letters that he was excited to teach it. Let's look at Colossians again. We've already heard Colossians this morning. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Wow. You know, Peter would say in one of his letters that even the angels long to know about this. This Christ in me, the hope of glory. But the angels couldn't know until Jesus made a way for all of us broken people to find out. When we find Christ in me 
through Scripture. We have plugged into a power source that never quits. And we have found the one who will never give up on us. We become a new species. We know the riches of the glory of this mystery. This is a good time for the worship team to come back up because we're about to blow you away, worship team, with how well we do on this VBS thing. In my fantasy, this is something you can actually use after we leave here today, that you actually do this, maybe with your own kids, I don't know. So here we go. Seek truth from Scripture. See Christ in Scripture. Find Christ in me through Scripture. Yeah, that's pretty good. We're good. We're good. I'm going to do this with you. We're going to do it from the top. Hands to your side. All right. Seek truth in Scripture. See Christ in Scripture. Find Christ in me through Scripture. Okay. That was the corniest thing I've ever done, giving a talk up here. But you know, some of us are just like, we're, we're, uh, what's the word? We're, uh, we're, we're not visual learners or auditory learners. We're kinesthetic learners. Thank you, teachers in the audience. Some part of this talk has felt like telling people to eat their vegetables or to drink a, a nutrient-filled milkshake. It's like, duh. <laughs> I get that. Uh, But I hope that something that's happened this morning is a place where the Spirit can use this for you. Thanks again for listening to the weekly podcast from Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you have any comments or questions or would like to know more about us, visit gracechurchnwa.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram too. We hope you join us again soon. In the meantime, grace and peace and have a great week.